um, many of you know the Cowboys are playing tonight. The evening, the evening game, so I can take as long as I want, right? <laughs> All right, so um, again, this is kind of funny because I was telling somebody, you know, we're, we've got this law enforcement and first responders dinner that we're doing on Christmas Eve, and I, I was telling somebody, I've stopped more cops this week than I think that I've been stopped in a long, long time. You know, just passing out these flyers and brochures and inviting them to come. So, uh, a little twist there. Good for me. Um, <laughs> let's see. You know, we, we just, uh, as Nina mentioned, this is, uh, you know, what should be the brightest, happiest, most joyful, glad time of year. For many, it's a sad time of year. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. I heard... Um, from uh, Jason or Jordan that I think one of the uh, students in the youth group uh, the night before Friday night, I guess it was that Thursday night, uh, that uh, the student's uh, mother had an aneurysm and she died, you know, just, I mean, two days ago, two or three days ago. So there's a lot of stress. There's stress in homes and families and finances and, you know, the death, death of loved ones and, uh, you know, stress at work and, and God wants us to have wants us to have peace. He came to, that we could have peace. And uh, last week we talked about the three points: having peace with God. The the, the only way that you're going to have peace in this world or peace in your life is first of all you got to make peace with God. That the Bible tells us that we are born enemies of God, and so we make peace with God. And then as we make peace with God, and our sins are covered and our sins are forgiven. And that's what David said, blessed is the man whose sins have been forgiven. They've been wiped, wiped clean. You have a, a, a clean slate. Uh, so when we have peace with God, then we have the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, then you can have peace in your relationships with one another. And we read that scripture from Proverbs. It says, when a man's ways are right before the Lord, that even his enemies will be at peace with him. And so... Um, I want to just pick up in um, Matthew. I want to, uh, last week we talked about praise, but this week I want to just, I want to talk about worship. And um, let me just ask, let me just throw this out there. When I say let's worship, what's the, when I say let's worship, what's the thought that comes into your mind? Okay. Say it again. Heavenly Father, Okay. Anybody else? I mean, all of those are, those are those are all good answers. We think about, I mean, didn't we just have a worship service? What were we doing? We were singing. We were worshiping. And typically when we talk to people about worship, that's what we think. We think of, you know, worship is just, you know, lifting up praise, and that's part part of it. You know, we're lifting up to the, the one true God, the one, one and only God. And um, so we're turning our focus and our attention to him. And so... Uh, I want to uh, start this week's service out of Matthew chapter 2. There's only, out of the, the four Gospels, there's only two of them that have the Christmas story. John doesn't even mention it at all, nor does Mark. So it's mentioned in uh, Matthew's Gospel, and it's mentioned in Luke's Gospel. So I want to share with you from um, a portion of Matthew chapter 2 that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. About that time, some astrologers from the eastern land arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is he, the newborn king of the Jews? For we have seen his star from afar off uh, in the eastern lands, and we have come to worship him. I want you to think about that for a moment. And the, the, the distance, I don't know, is guessed anywhere to be from 800 to 1,200 miles, depending on where they were in the east. But uh, most people believe that they came from probably around Babylon. And, um, but the question is that how did they know? How did they know? How did they know? They saw a star, but there had to be something. I mean, we look up in the heavens every night, and we see stars all over the place, and there's nothing that's telling me to, you know, follow that star, go see that star. 
And so they, they go to the King Herod and ask about, you know, this, uh, where's the newborn king of the Jews? And um, Herod replies, and he says, go uh, search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with exceedingly great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. So they're putting all of this together. I mean, I've been to a lot of people's houses. I don't fall down and start worshiping their babies. Uh, but there's, there's a lot going on. There's, there's just more to the story than we're reading right here. And it says, and then they opened up their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So uh, to really, for us to really get our minds around this, we've got to go back to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, uh, we see that the, the children of Israel, all, the entire nation, this is the first time that Israel as a nation had been conquered by a world government. They'd, you know, they'd been part and parcels of, of Israel that had been overrun by, you know, foreign enemies, the Amalekites, the uh, Amorites, the Philistines were always ancient enemies of, of Israel. But when Babylon came on, they were the first world gov gov government that took, that not only controlled the entire world, but they controlled all of Israel and they controlled all of, is of, of Jerusalem as well. The Bible refers to that as the time of the Gentiles. And it says that the time of the Gentiles, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, and then we'll see the return of the Lord. So there's this, this called the space that's called a dispensational space or this time period that's called the time of the Gentiles. And then uh, I won't take a long time on, 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 on what happened here. But in Daniel chapter 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. And he sees the statue that with a head of gold and a breastplate of bronze and uh, thighs of uh, brass, or, or excuse me, breastplate of silver, thighs of brass and legs and feet and toes of clay and iron. And those represented four world governments. Uh, the first one was the Babylonian government. He was the head. He was the, the greatest government of all of the, uh, all the, the other three. And then we see that during that time period, uh, after his death and after his grandson began to rule, that uh, the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus came in and conquered. And uh, so that was the second one. That was a silver breastplate. And uh, then we see Alexander the Great uh, come in and he conquers. And uh, he was the, uh, the, the legs of bronze. And then we see Rome coming in and conquering and becoming. These were four world governments from the time that that, that prophecy had been given. And, uh, uh, and by the way, the, the Roman government, was Rome never was conquered. It just kind of uh, assimilated into the, into the society. And uh, there are parts of that and fragments of that even today. And many feel that at the end of the age that those ten, those ten toes will come together that represented ten governments will again come back together and uh, be reestablished as a one world government. But so he has this dream of the statue and uh, the gold and the silver and the bronze or the brass and the, and the clay and the uh, iron. And... Um, and he doesn't understand what it means. And so he calls for all of the wise men. And if you look at the list of wise men, uh, they are, um, uh, they're like, you know, almost like wizards. They were magicians. Uh, they were scientists. They were astrologers, astronomers. And so he called for all of them. Now, remember that they had already been, been there. Babylon had been well-established. Um, but when they went in to capture Israel and, and, and to take over Israel, uh, the king wanted um, 
It's really interesting reading. You can read it in Daniel chapter 1. He, want, he wanted the brightest men, the most handsome men, um, the, the men that could learn you know, the fastest. And I'm thinking, you know, he, he's talking about me until he got to, it said, younger men. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I fit that category. I'm going for that. But, but so he, nobody could tell him what the dream meant. And so he sent out this order to put all, you know, all of these guys to death. And in putting them to death, it was going to include putting to death the Jews, the young Jewish men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It was going to include putting them to death as well. And so um, Daniel, when he hears the word that, you know, he's talking to the captain and he hears the word and he says, what's going on? What, you know, why is the urgency of the king? What's, what's the, you know, tell me what's happening. And the captain, apparently Daniel had made friends with, the captain explained that nobody could interpret the dream, tell the uh, king what the dream meant, and so he was going to have them all put to death. So he started at the top with what the king considered to be the greatest, the wizards, the, uh, the magicians, the soothsayers. He started with them, and, and I guess in his mind he's thinking, you know, I've got these kids. By the way, when Daniel went into captivity, most people feel like that he and the group that went into captivity with him were between 13 and 15 years old. And so in the king's mind, he's thinking, I mean, why would I even ask them a question? Why, why would I even be concerned about them? Um, you know, they don't know anything, and I'm sure that's what the others thought as well. I mean, this is just a bunch of, you know, young kids off the street. They don't know anything. And so, but Daniel tells the, the captain, he says, uh, you go back and tell the king, if you'll just give me one night, God will reveal this dream to me, and I'll tell you what it means. And so he goes back. And Daniel has the same dream that the king has, except this time not only does he have the dream, he has the interpretation, and he explains it to the king. The king immediately appoints Daniel and his three friends into the higher ups, some of the highest places in government. You know, those that had been there for the wizards and the soothsayers and the astrologers and the astronomers that had been there maybe with the king for 30, 40, 50 years, these were probably old men by now, Daniel and his group has now been elevated into a place of position above them. And so, because Daniel was able to understand the dream and, and to give the interpretation, then he caught the attention not only of the king, but there were others in the kingdom that were willing to listen to him. And so Daniel began to teach them not about the gods that they, they, they knew, they, he began to teach them about the God that they didn't know. And he also talked about the, uh, an old prophet uh, many, many years ago named Balaam. And Balaam, and I think this is in, somebody's going to have to check me in this. It's in the book of Numbers. Um, it might be around 34 if it, there's that many chapters in Numbers. I'm just, it's in the book of Numbers. But Balaam, you know, has been hired by one of Israel's enemies to put a curse on Israel and he, he tries to do it, but the words, every time the words come out of his mouth, they come out as a blessing instead of a curse. And, and the king said, I'm, you know, I hired you. I paid you to curse them so that they wouldn't invade my land. And, and Balaam was just saying, man, I, it's like I'm trying. I'm, try, I'm trying to do this, but the words that keep coming out keep coming out as a blessing. And in one of those places, Balaam says, I have seen his star. He talks about seeing the star, seeing the star of this one. And so I believe that the, the reason, and this, this happened uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say uh, seven, eight hundred years prior to the wise men even showing up, uh, you know, that uh, Daniel is teaching these men, getting this into their culture, to not, not uh, bringing the gods of the, of the world into Daniel's life, but taking the God that Daniel had and presenting, presenting it to them. And then we read on, if you read on in the book of Daniel, and, uh, I, let me just wrap it up by saying this. In Daniel chapter 9, it talks about when the Messiah would come and when the Messiah would be cut off. And so these guys you know, because of all of the things that Daniel did and the, and the men that were with him, all of the things that God 
did through them, got the attention of the world. And some of these guys, these, uh, the, you know, these that were involved in the occult and astrology, astrology and uh, soothsaying and all of these different things, somehow Daniel got their attention and he said, let me show you what the Word of God says, because the Word of God says there's going to come a star. And the Word of God says that at, you know, 70 times 7, you know, uh, you know in, in uh, 483 years, there's going to be, um, you know, uh, the, the Messiah is, is going to come. And so be ready, be looking for this. They were diligent, they were looking, they came to Bethlehem, they knew, I mean, I'm sure that you know, that uh, Daniel even told them that, you know, just sharing the word of God with them. And so the bottom line is that they show up, they're following a star, they've listened to God, they've listened to Daniel, listened to his teachings, um, and uh, they show up. And then for some reason they go to the king, and you've got, you know, you've got uh, two groups of people there that they run into. Number one, they run into the king, who is, who is Jewish as well, and uh, they said, where is he that's born, you know, king of the Jews? And uh, it was like the king didn't have a clue. I didn't know somebody was going to be born the king of the Jews. As far as I know, I'm still the king of the Jews. And, uh, and then so the king asked a question to the religious leaders, and they said, uh, well, where, where, what's the Bible say? What, what's it say in the word? And they said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they said, okay, go to Bethlehem. When you find out where he is, come back and tell me so we can worship him. But, I mean, just think about this. For hundreds and maybe even thousands of years, a promise has been given that a Messiah would come, and someone shows up, a complete stranger, that says, we've just come 800 miles following this star that has stopped here in this town that is hovering over the king of the Jews. Can you tell me where he is? The king didn't know and the religious leaders didn't care. And that is the problem that we face today. You know, that a lot of people don't know, and some people don't care. It's like the, the joke that I've told a thousand times, and you're tired of hearing, about the coach that's teaching the basketball player, kind of teaching him this routine, you know, and he just says, son, I don't, I don't get it. You know, this, this is how you do it. He says, you got to tell me. Is it ignorance or is it apathy? And he said, I don't know and I don't care. And so, you know, and that's the way much of the world is today. I don't know and I don't care. But, you know, those of you that are here this morning, and I believe you're here this morning because you want to know, you want to know more, and you do care. And so the word uh, that we're talking about this morning is worship, and it's a, a word that's derived from an old English uh, um, word, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it, but it means worth, worthiness or worship, and that got changed to worship, something that you were devoted or devoted to, that you're you, you're concerned about. You know, it, it has your heart, and so uh, the first time it's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. There's a, there's a phrase called the, the first law of mention. Anybody ever hear that phrase before, the first law of mention? Okay, so the first time that this word worship is mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 22, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to the land of Moriah. That's going to be important in a moment. I'm going to show you. And it says, and offer him there uh, uh, as a burnt offering on the mountain, on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And Abraham arose, no question about it. God said it, I'm going to do it. Abraham rose the next morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God, of which God told him. And on the third day... Um, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there and worship. We're going to go worship. This, this Isaac and I are going to go up and we're going to worship. First time it's ever used in the Bible. There are other places that kind of indicate that. I mean, you could almost say that Cain and Abel, when they brought their offerings to the Lord, that they were, it was an attempt of worship. But this is the first time that it's actually there. 
I and the boy are going to go there and worship, and I'm going to come back to you. And so then we fast forward about another 400 years, maybe 500 years further. Uh, Abraham has uh, Isaac. Isaac has uh, Jacob and Esau and uh, the children of Israel at, at that point in time went into captivity into Egypt. They went down to Egypt to uh, thrive and survive there during the Great Famine. And um, as they're there, they begin to grow. They begin to multiply. They forgot about the promised land. The king of Egypt says, you know, hey, we got to do something because these guys might rise up and overtake us. And so um, they put them in just intense, very difficult slavery, um, no freedom of their own, nothing to, they could, you know, when you're a slave, you're not your own anymore. You belong to someone else. God hears the mourning and the crying of the children of Israel, and he sends Moses to deliver them. And Moses goes and stands before Pharaoh. And on a number of occasions, listen to what Moses says. He says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. By the way, if you're using, if you guys are using your phone, your, uh, your app on your phone, in the upper right-hand corner, there's a place that you can click that says notes. And so the sermon is not only in, uh, you know, on your app, but there's a place that you can actually take notes. You can type them in, make notes if you want to come back and pick something else up. So in Exodus 7, 16, it says uh, Moses and, and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh, and he said, uh, this is what he says. He says, uh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me, sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they might worship me. And if you don't do that, then the water's going to, all the water, the Nile that you worship as a God is going to turn into blood. And so Pharaoh agrees and then changes his mind. And I mean, it's real, it's real easy reading. Uh, Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10. You can just read it just straight through. Exodus chapter 8. Uh, after Pharaoh changes his mind, Moses goes back to him and he says, this is what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me, okay? And if you don't let them go, he said, I'm going to bring frogs upon the land. And it says they piled frogs up in heaps like mountains. And the land, the, there was a, uh, just an odor, a stink throughout the land. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, you know, Pharaoh again changed his mind after the fro frogs are gone. And Moses goes back again and he says, this is what the Lord says. The God of the Hebrews says, let my people go. Let my people go that they may worship me. And if you don't let them go, this is what's going to happen. There's going to come hail out of heaven. It's going to kill all of your livestock. And, uh, and the Bible says that some of Pharaoh's believers, even Pharaoh himself didn't believe, but many of his uh, servants believed. They brought their, you know, their animals out of the... Uh, fields and into shelter, and they lived. And then we read in Exodus chapter 10, and Moses goes back again and says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may worship me. And again, Pharaoh refused. A swarm of locusts comes in, and it just absolutely devours the land. And, uh, you know, even Pharaoh's servants are saying, look at Egypt, look at Egypt. Egypt is in ruin right now because you won't let the people go. Let them go. Just let them go. Get them out of here. So what I'm trying to say this morning, that there is a connection between the children of Israel being in bondage and worship. They couldn't quite worship God the way that they wanted to while they were in, in, in bondage. I don't have this uh, in the sermon notes this morning, but I thought about this scripture as we were worshiping this morning. And uh, if you want to just jot it down, the reference is 100, uh, Psalm 137. And uh, this is talking about uh, that time of, that Daniel was in captivity from the Babylonians. It says, and by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept. It's taught, this is the children of Israel speaking. It says, when we remembered Zion, and there on the poplars we hung our harps for our captors, uh, ask us for songs, for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing to us some of the songs of Zion. Well, we want you to worship right now. 
Why don't you to just kind of break out in that kind of worship that you used to break out in, you know, when you were back there, you know, in, in Israel. And they responded and said, how can we sing songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? You know, so the, my point is this morning that I don't care what it is. None, none of us, we're not you know, slave to Egypt and we're not a slave in Babylon. But when sin comes into our lives, when we allow sin to come in, and, and, you know, you may think that you can deal with it. You may think, well, it's not that bad, or I'm really not that bad. Or the stuff that I watch really isn't that bad. It may be R-rated, but it's not X-rated. Or, you know, I may, you know, have a few drinks at night, you know, but I, I'm not falling flat on my face getting drunk. It's okay. You know, um, the Bible says that a little sin will leaven, leaven the whole lump. And eventually it comes in, and as we allow sin to come in our lives, it takes us captive and it keeps us from fully worshiping the Lord the way the Lord wants us to, to worship Him. And so, my first point is that, uh, and uh, guys, I, I just threw, kind of like threw this together, you know, the best I could based on what I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was speaking to me. But God, number one, I believe that the Lord wants us to worship Him in spirit and truth. That's what He told the woman as well in, in John chapter 4. You know, the woman was saying, well, our fathers say over here, you know, down on this place is where we're supposed to worship the Lord. But you Jews are saying over there is the place that we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord. And Jesus says, you know, it's not, it's not over there and it's not over there. He says God is looking for worshipers and he's looking for true worshipers, those that will worship him in spirit and truth. And um, as, we, uh, as I read earlier, the wise men came in. The first thing that they do, they come in and they... They bow down, and um, Psalm 95 says this. It says, come let us worship and bow down. Come let us bow down and worship. And there's two. There's a Hebrew word there and a Greek word, I think, that you are both in your notes. And it just means in submission, bowing down in reverence and submission to the Lord. And it says, goes on to say, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Come let us worship and bow down. That's why we're here this morning. Come let us worship and bow down. Second thing is that we worship the Lord when we find ourselves in, in, in a battle. And, and guys, we, you know, it's a battle, you know. I, I preached that message on peace. I was telling Edward, some of you, you know, this week. That last week I pe preached that message on peace. I probably had the worst week of my life, you know. Just, uh, it was, I was so absent of peace. I was thinking, you know, and when you get in that place, I was thinking, what did I say? What were those, where, where were those scriptures, God? Where were those scriptures that I said last week that's supposed to keep me in peace? And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, just a, it was just like a wrestling match. It was a, the battle was on. It was just like, you know, the enemy was attacking, and I had to keep going back and trying to remember the word and think about the word and focus on the word. You know, God, restore my peace. Get me back in peace. And, you know, as soon as I'd put this fire out, another fire would, you know, break out and, and it was, I was constantly, you know, doing all of these things back and forth. And uh, this is so cool because, you know, all of us have a schedule. And, you know, you know you, if you're a really organized person, like, not like me, um, but if you're really organized, you know, you know what you're going to do between 9 and 11 and between you're going to have a lunch break and you got your calendar set for that and from, you know, 1 to 2 and what you're going to be doing three to four years. You're very organized people. you got your calendars, and everything works great. But if somebody adds something to that, it kind of throws a, a just, it just messes the whole calendar up. And so I was on the job site, and uh, we're, we're, I was working on a project, and my guys uh, called me, and they said they needed uh, four bags of, uh, of cement. They wanted quick creep. And... Uh, uh, and so um, I called Jason. I was trying to see if he could go get it, but he was downtown. And I thought, oh, I'll just go get it myself because I was about halfway downtown. So, but it's still messing with my schedule. It's going to mess my schedule up. Now, listen to this, guys. This is, I promise you, this has never happened to you before, and this has never happened to me before. I needed four bags of quickcrete, not concrete, not cement, not Portland. I need four bags of quickcrete. And so, uh, you get, anybody, you guys know what that is? Yeah, you just, it's, it's in a bag, you dump it in the hole and add water, you know? And uh, it's kind of like God and us, right? 
you're in a hole and, and, you know, God calls you out and pours in water and you're full of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so I, I'm walking up to the store, to Home Depot, and I'm thinking, basket or cart, basket or cart, basket or cart. Do I put this, can I get four bags of concrete or quickcrete in a basket? And they're like, they're like 80-pound bags. Or can I just get a, should I just get a cart and put four bags on the cart? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, get in the store. Just go in the store. And so I pass up all the baskets and I pass up all the carts and I walk to the Quickcrete. And before I even got to Quickcrete, there was a cart there that had four bags of Quickcrete sitting on top of it. And I looked around and I said, does this belong to you? No. Does this belong to you? No. Does this belong to you? No. I said, it's mine. I pushed it to the counter and I walked out of the store. You know, four bags of Quickcrete. How easy can it get? I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been paint. It could have been lumber. I mean, four bags of Quickcrete waiting for me when I get to the store. And I'm thinking, God, you know, I mean, that was a time saver. And God knew the crunch and the pressure and the peace that I was under thinking, you know, just, you know, just one more thing added to my schedule. And I felt like God was saying, let me help you out a little bit. You don't have to bear, you don't have to bear this load all by yourself. And so, so we, we enter in these battles sometimes. And uh, the second point that I want to make that you want to worship the Lord when you're, in the, when you're in the middle of a battle. And it seems like the most illogical and wrong time to worship God when, you know, when, you know, things are going on. It's like you, you, you got to focus on the battle. You got to worry about the battle. How am I going to do this? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to say to this person? And so in Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says that sometime later, the armies of Moab and Ammon came together with the Minyanites and uh, were at war with Jehoshaphat. And the messengers told Jehoshaphat, a large army is coming from Edom east of the Dead Sea and it's invaded our country and they've already reached in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat, you know, just like, man, that, that is not good news. I mean, even one army is not good news. Nobody wants to go to war. Nobody wants to fight a war. And so, I mean, he humbles himself before the Lord and he begins to cry out. And that's one of the first things that you and I need to do when we find ourselves in the middle of the battle, just cry out, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do in this situation? Whether it's at work or, you know, with employees or employer or whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, whatever battle that you're facing, you need to cry out to the Lord. And Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do. And that's where many of us get. We don't know what to do. I don't, I, you know, what, what do I do? You know, cart or basket. I don't, I don't know what to do, Lord. And he says, and we are begging for your help. And so when you need help from God, then, you know, you need to begin to worship. And somehow out of that, I, I can't explain it, but I just, I, all I know is it works, is that when you begin to worship God and just say, God, you're bigger than any problem that I have, any problem, any giant, anything that I face today, you're bigger than that, and you are a God that says, and this is what your word says, remember we said last week, my phone, but Bible's in here, God, your word says right here, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of you, because you give wisdom liberally to all people. So I don't know what to do right now, God, I'm asking you, I need your help. And then uh, it goes on to say, and the Lord says, uh, the prophet Agad, I believe, begins to speak, and um, he says, the Lord says that you uh, do not need to be afraid or let this powerful army discourage you. God, listen to this, God will fight on your side. God will fight on your side. So here's what you must do. Tomorrow, the enemy's armies will march through the desert around the town of Jeruel. March down and meet them at the town of Ziz. And as they come up the valley, you won't even have to fight. Just take your positions and watch. Take your positions and watch. And, and, and that's where we struggle. We want to get involved. We want to roll up our sleeves and try to help God out as if he needs help. You know, and he doesn't. So um, he said, don't be afraid. Just do as you're told. That's 
that's called being obedient to uh, the word of God is saying, and that's another way to say that. Do as you're told. And as you march out tomorrow, the Lord will be there with you. He says, I'm the Lord your God, and I'll never forsake you. And Jehoshaphat bowed, bowed down low, or bowed down low to the ground, and everyone, what they do, they begin to worship the Lord. And so um, in the middle of the battle, in the middle of this storm, uh, you know, when, you're, uh, when you don't know what to do, you want to you need to worship the Lord. The third point I want to show you this morning is worship the Lord when you need his help. Scripture said, this has been a great scripture for me in the la over the last year, just kind of dealing with stuff that's going on in my life. But he says that I was pushed back and I was about to fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength. And the Lord is my defense. And he has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteousness. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but I will live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And then you could hear this, the, the, the plea of whoever's praying this prayer. He just enters, he breaks out into this, just as this thing of worship. And he says, open for me the gates of righteous, and I will enter in and give thanks. I will give praise. I'm going to go in, open up these gates. I'm going up to the temple right now. I'm going to go up and worship God. I need his help right now. And I've seen what God has done in the past, and I know that God has not abandoned me in the past, and he didn't abandon me yesterday. He's not going to abandon me today, and he will not uh, uh, abandon me tomorrow. God is on my side, and God is on your side, and he wants to help you. And all he's waiting for you is for you to cry out and say, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. I just need your help. The, the fourth point I want to make is, Worship the Lord in our giving. Now, we notice that, that when they went in, the wise men, as they, let me go, go back to that, to Matthew chapter 2. As they went into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him, and they opened up their treasure, and they offered him uh, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You guys have heard the teaching on what those three things mean forever, and I'm not even going to go into it. The, the bottom line is they brought gifts. They brought some of the very best gifts of their land to give to this newborn king of the Jews. And um, we see this again happening in, uh, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24 story that you'll remember. You know, when we think about David's sin, when you think about David's sin, what do you think of? Adultery, okay. Anybody else got murder? Adultery and murder? Okay. Anybody else? All right. I'm going I'm to show you one more, okay? Because this one, when you read this, you might think, you know, yeah, he murdered somebody and he committed adultery with somebody. But at one point in David's life, God was kind of pushed back and he wanted to know how strong his army really was. And so he did a census. He took a census on the army, the fighting men. And I think there were 800,000 from Israel and 500,000 from Judah. So he knew he had an army of a million, you know, 300,000. And as soon as the report came back to him, he was quickened in his spirit. And he said, you know what? What I just did is that I've left God out of the equation. And I'm trying to figure out if I can do this on my own without God and he began to repent and God says he sends the prophet and it wasn't Gad that I, that I mentioned earlier Gad shows up in this in this uh, uh, passage of scripture right here and Gad says to him you have sinned and God's going to give you three three options you're going to have three years of famine uh, you're going to have three months of your enemies uh, chasing you or you're going to have uh, three days of dealing with me. And David said, you know, Lord, you're, you're a good God. You're a merciful God. I'm going to trust in you. 
But it says that because of David's sin, the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted three days. And 70,000, listen to this, wasn't 70,000 when he had an affair with Bathsheba. Wasn't 70,000 that died when he had her husband Uriah killed. But 70,000 people, innocent people, that had nothing to do with what David had done. 70,000 men died throughout that nation. It says, in that day, Gad came to David and said to him, Go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, Israel, if you've ever been there, fairly good-sized nation, not, not huge. Probably not, I don't think anywhere near the size of New Mexico. But, um, but just now, um, why? Why build an altar at the threshing floor of, uh, of Arana? Why, 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 why build an altar there? Let's continue to read. It says, And when Arana saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came forward and fell flat on the ground with his face in the dust. Why have you come? Arana asked. And David replied, To buy your threshing floor so that I can build an altar to the Lord. What do you do at an altar? You worship. You worship at the altar. So he says, I want to, build, I want to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord and he will stop the plague. Uh, and then use anything you like, Arana told the king. Here's the oxen. Here's the burnt offering. You can use the threshing instruments, the ox yokes for wood to build the fire on the altar. I will give it all to you. I'm not, I don't even want to sell it. I'll give it to you and may the Lord God accept your sacrifice. But this king said to Arana, no, I will not give it as a gift uh, I, 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 will not, uh, I will not have it as a gift. I will buy it. For I don't want to offer the Lord my God burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. And that's what a sacrifice is. It's costing you something. It's costing you. A sacrifice is when you're giving something that, that you cherish, that you want, that you're giving it up, saying that, that God here is more important than this here. And I'm willing to give up this so that I can have more of God. And I think that in our own lives, yet many times we, we push God on the back burner, we get busy with life, and, and we say that, God, as soon as I get caught up with this, then I'm going to get caught up with you. And God's saying, I don't want it that way, because what you've done is you've put me back here where this was, and you put this up here where I was. And he says, I want to be number one in your life. And David is saying, I won't take it for free. You cannot... I, you can't give it to me. I am going to pay for it, and I'm going to build a, a, an altar to the Lord there. Now, there's an interesting twist in this, and if you guys, any of you have a, um, a study Bible, if you just look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 24, right at the bottom of that, and I asked a question earlier, why Arana? Why, 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 why go to this place where Arana is? And by his threshing floors, there were probably a thousand threshing floors. That's what they did for a living. They, you know, they they were farmers. They, everything they did was from the field. So they had corn and they had grain, and all of these things had to go to the threshing floor to be threshed out. And usually, it was on top of a mountain. So you know, the the mountain would uh, typically there was a wind there, and you'd throw, you'd kind of crush the wheat, and you'd throw the wheat and the shaft up in the air, and the gentle breeze would blow away the the chaff of the wheat, and, and the wheat would fall back down. But why, Arana, why, why this guy's place? And if you look at your notes, you will find that this is the same place, the same place that Abraham offered up Isaac, is right here at this very same place. If you read a little bit further, it is the same place later on. This altar became the place where they built the temple, where Solomon built the temple. And it's also the same place that Jesus walked in and out of almost on a daily basis when he was on the, on the earth, walking the earth, going in and out of the temple of God. It was a very special place in the eyes of God. But David said that uh, I'm not going to worship God by giving him the things that you have. I'm going to worship God by giving him the things that are near and dear to me and say, God, 
you know, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to give it all up for you. I'm willing to give this everything up. And when we get to the New Testament, it wasn't, we weren't just talking about, you know, cars and houses and, you know, things, golf clubs and things that we like, you know, we got to the New Testament, we were talking about the most precious thing that each of, each of us possess, and that is our life. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone will not lay down his life and pick up his cross and follow me, he can't be a part of my team. He can't be a part of the team. And so that was the fourth point. You worship God in your giving. And, um, and then the final one is that uh, we worship the Lord through um, being obedient to his word. Now remember, Herod said, come back and tell me uh, where this newborn king is so I can go worship him too. And um, it says that the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 being warned in a dream, God spoke to them in a dream. Begin to think about that because remember, uh, and we just talk about and Stephen Oley, you guys probably know a lot about more about this than I do, but um, that when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, it was an angel of the Lord bringing a message to the Lord, and then Gabriel also appeared to uh, Gabriel appeared to uh, Zechariah first of all, bringing him the message about Elizabeth. Second, he, uh, Gabriel appears to. Mary giving her the message, but it's not an angel that tells Joseph what's going on. It says, I think it says at least twice, maybe three times, it said Joseph had a dream. And in that dream, God told him, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then so, then he has another dream uh, that the king wants to kill the young baby. And so they go down to Egypt. And then while they're in Egypt, Joseph has another dream saying the king is dead and it's okay to come back. And here we see that the wise man being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I want to just say that there's a little bit of play on words there because I promise you that if any of you that don't know Jesus today will come to him, you will depart. You will walk out those doors another way, a different way, a different person because of the work, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then he says um, in Second Kings chapter 17, you know, and I'm just talking about being obedient to his word, listening to his word. You know that when you go through problems, you know, you will have people that will come to you that once they find out what your problem is, I mean, they've got all kind of advice for you. For you. Non-believing people, well, this is what I would do. If I were you, this is what I would do. I think I have the answer. I think I know what you need to do. Or we'll listen to Oprah. We'll listen to Oprah over the Word of God. Or we'll listen to Dr. Phil. We think that these people, because they're rich and famous, they have all the answers. You know, it's like the story of the guy that, the, the, the two guys, and they were best friends, and one of them just started drinking really heavy. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it went from, you know, one or two drinks to three or four to five or six. And the next thing you know that he's just sitting in the bar, you know, spending most of his time in a bar. And uh, so his friend was really concerned about him. And he said, man, I, I've got to reach this guy. I've got, I've got to show him what he's doing to his life. To his life. And, uh, and so uh, his, he knew he could catch his buddy down at the bar every evening at about six or seven o'clock. And so he just struts up to the bar, sits down next to him, and tells the bartender, he says, I want two shots. I want a shot of water and I want a shot of whiskey. And uh, so the bartender brings him down, sits in front of him, and the guy has this little pouch in his purse, pouch, and opens it up, and he has two worms in it. And he drops one worm in the water and one worm in the whiskey. And the guy that's the drunk is like looking at the two bottle, two jiggers and looking at his buddy and looks at two little jiggers again, one in the water, one in the whiskey, and after a while, the one in the whiskey dies. And his buddy says, what do you think that means? What do you think that means? The guy says, well, 
He's looking at his buddy and looking at the dead worm and looking at the live worm. And he says, I guess if you drink a lot of whiskey, you won't get worms. <laughs> so, we will take advice from everybody that we know except for the Word of God. And, and, and you know, Jason told me this story. I'd never heard this before. Uh, we were sitting around just kind of chatting last night. But he was talking about this uh, guy was driving this old truck down the road. And uh, I, you know what? I probably can't tell it. I don't remember it as good as you do. Come up here and tell that story. <laughs> There's a mic right there in front of you. I, need a, I needed a break here anyway. <laughs> it's, it's a good story, though. This is Edward's favorite story. All right, so um, this is a while back, 50s. Um, guy's driving his truck down the road, Ford truck. Trucks break down, and uh, it's a cold, stormy night. Uh, snow's on the ground. And um, so he's sitting there trying to fix his truck, trying to tinker with it and get the thing to work. And um, finally, a limousine pulls up behind him. Guy gets out in a tuxedo. Comes up, tells the guy, go get back in your truck when I tell you to turn the key, um, fire the truck up. And so the guy in the tuxedo starts working on the truck and um, tells the guy that was, owns the truck to go get back in there and, and turn the thing on. And um, after he's done tinkering around, the guy goes back and fires the truck up and it turns on right away. And uh, the guy gets out of the truck and he tells the guy in the, in the tuxedo, you know, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're a wealthy guy. It looks like you're coming from a party. Um, you know, why did you stop to help me, poor old me, on the side of the road? The guy says, my name is Henry Ford. And he says, I'm the creator of this truck, and when I create something, I like to see it doing what it's supposed to do. And in the same way, God, as the creator of us, doesn't replace us when we're broken. He fixes us, and he likes to see us what we're supposed to do. Amen. All right, so... Uh, last scripture here from 2 Kings 17, it says, Always obey the rules, orders, and teachings and commands that he wrote for you. Do not honor other gods. Instead, worship, worship, worship the Lord, your God, who will save you from all of your enemies. You hear that? If you worship the Lord, your God, it says that he will save you from all of your enemies your enemies. And so, you know, there's, there's three voices that are, that are always speaking to us. One is the devil, one is ourself, and one is God. And, you know, you've got to decide who you're going to listen to, who you're going to, who, who you're going to obey. Um, and, 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 and taking things to, you know, to the Lord in prayer. I was talking, you know, telling you the story about the shopping cart, but I, I heard even a greater story than that um, about a week or two ago, about a guy that uh, got a call about four o'clock in the morning from his best friend saying that his wife had just uh, gone to the hospital, she's getting ready to have a baby, and um, asked if they could come over, they were Christians, and pray with them and pray that everything went okay. And so the guy's walking out the driveway and he's thinking, you know, by now it's you know, 4 35 o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm going to go from the hospital to work but maybe I won't be at the hospital that long. I could come home and change clothes, do whatever I need to do. And so he's got like a company vehicle there, and he's got his own, own car. And he's like, you know, which, what do I take? What do I take, you know? Um, you know, he's just like, like frozen there. And uh, it's like, you know, I don't know which one to take. Do I take my car or do I take the company card? My car or the company car? My car or the company car? And so finally, you know, he felt like the Lord said, just take the company car and go to the hospital. Get to the hospital right now. So he goes to the hospital. He spends several hours there. And um, by the time he's done, it's time to go to work. So he's already got the company car there. He is about three or four miles from the hospital and uh, gets rear-ended in a very serious way. It absolutely, totally destroys the driver's, the other driver's car and destroys his car too. And... Um, the other driver had an insurance policy that was a $25,000 policy. That's all it was going to cover. The $25,000 was going to cover 
uh, all of his hospitals. The guy was, I mean, he was seriously injured. He was out of work for about three or four years because of this uh, car wreck injury. And, but the, the, car, the car that the guy was driving only had a $25,000 policy on it, and his own personal car only had a $25,000 policy on it. But the company car had a million-dollar policy that would covered all expenses for, you know, for uh, his hospital, even his time out of work, and, and paid him a bundle of money. And so when you think there's something too little to pray about in your life, I want you to remember stories like that, you know, that the Holy Spirit will gently, you know, speak to you. If you're listening, you know, and, and not trying to figure it out on your own, uh, he, will, he will listen to you, and, and he will lead you and guide you and direct you. So, guys, again, just as we enter into this Christmas season, it's so easy for us to get distracted but I want you to know one thing, and we discussed this this morning, that worship is key. It's the key ingredient. It's what brought the wise men to Bethlehem. They came to bow down and to worship him. You know, um, in, um, in Samuel, in the book of Samuel, after David has this affair with uh, Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant. She is pregnant after Uriah dies. And as soon as the baby is born, David, uh, they, they know that the baby is sick. And he's not sick in a good way. I mean, this is a sickness unto death. And David pleads with the Lord, you know, day after day, fasting and praying and seeking God. You know, just God, please, please have mercy upon me. And uh, his servants are trying to get him to eat. He won't eat. Uh, he's just there just, you know, praying to God. And uh, then on the seventh day, he notices that the servants are whispering and uh, they're talking to one another. And David perceives that the child has died. And uh, he asks them, has, has the child died? And they said, yes. And David goes and washes his clothes, says he puts on lotion. And the very first thing that he does, the very first thing that he does is he goes, and you can read it, goes and gets on his knees, and he begins to worship God. He begins to worship God after going through all of that. And his servants are just like, what in the world? You know, how, why, you know, we couldn't get you to eat. We couldn't get you to drink, you know, and, you know, and, and you were in this sadness, and, and then the child dies, and you're worshiping God. You know, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. And a lot of the things in, in your life, when people see you worshiping God because of something that's happened in your life, some tragedy, something difficult that you're going through. They see that happening in your life, and they see you worshiping God. Um, it, it start, they start putting the, connecting the dots and seeing that, you know, that God is the only answer. He is the only answer. So whatever you're facing today, whatever trial you're facing today, whatever difficulty you're going through today, whatever mountain is standing before you today, and whatever giant is standing before you today, I promise you that as you begin to worship God, God will show you the way out. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, please. I just want to, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, See, worship is a choice. It could have been very easy for David to say to Gad, the prophet, I'm not going to buy a threshing floor. I don't need a threshing floor. God can hear me from where I am right now. I don't need to build an altar. But I'm going to ask you this. 2,000 years ago, God sent a gift into this world. A beautiful gift wrapped in a beautiful package of swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And some of you, like some have done on Christmas, 
have left an unwrapped box under the tree. Never thought about opening it. Maybe you didn't like the person that gave it to you. Maybe you had ought against that person. I'd never accept anything from that person in my life. But God's saying, the gift of God is eternal life. And this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. And he who has not the son does not have life. I'm going to ask you two questions. Do you have the Son? Or do you have life? And if you don't, I want you to raise your hand right now because God does not want you to walk out of this place without either of those. Do you have the Son? If you don't know, raise your hand. Do you want the Son this morning? Raise your hand. prayer together just as I said that worship is it's an attitude and you can be so preoccupied and so busy that you don't have time to worship or pray but right now I just want to hear our hearts, not out loud, not not our voices. I want to hear our hearts saying, Lord, I worship you. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love him. Worship him. If you can say that, Lord, I've got a full plate. i got a busy plate. But I'm moving my plate to the side right now for this moment and Lord with everything that's in my being my body my soul that's your mind your will your emotions your desires your spirit that's what God breathes into you when you became born again he made your spirit alive Lord with everything that I am with all of my being my body. We notice that the wise men just bow down before the child. We notice that David put his face down. Many times people would lay face down on the ground. Other times people would lift their hands in worshiping God. Sometimes you can just stand still and worship God. These outward expressions do not necessarily mean that you're worshiping God. I just want you to just, for a moment, just worship Him. Let's just worship Him. Lord, we bless you and we praise you, Father. And you can speak it out. You want to say something to God. You don't have to just say it in your heart. You can just say, Lord, I love you. I bless you, Lord. I praise your holy name. I'm grateful, God. You've been so good to me. You've watched over me. You've been with me in my, my good times and my bad times, Father. You've always been there. You've been that steady anchor. You've been that rock, that solid rock. Lord, even though your son was the stone that the builders rejected, I choose to stand on that stone. Father, I, with all that I have, with all that I have, I receive you. If you have not received him, just say, Jesus, come in. Please come in right now. Wash away my sin by the blood that you shed at Calvary's cross. Take away my sin. Take away my guilt. See, with sin, sin's got some buddies. Sin is, we talk about our sin, where we've missed the mark, our transgressions. And our iniquities. Our iniquities are kind of the way that you're bent when it talks about the sins of the fathers being passed on to the third and fourth generation. 
some of you have said that before, that I'll never be, I don't want to ever be like my mom. I never want to be like my dad. I don't want to be a, he was a drunk, he was a druggie. I don't want, I don't want to be like that. And you find yourself in the same spot. Your mom was, maybe she was bitter and angry and rigid. You say, I don't, I never want to be like that. And yet, years later, you find that you are. And you can't change yourself. And I would suggest today that you stop trying to change yourself. Let Jesus come in and change you. He will come in and change you. And the first step is in our worship to Him. We're His, this newborn King of the Jews. We have seen his star in the sky, and we've come to worship him. Lord, we've come to worship you this morning. God, with all of our being, once again, God, we, we've come to worship you. We worship you, O oh God. We worship you from our hearts, and we can bow down, and we can get on our faces, and we can lift our hands. And all of those things, Father, are just outward expressions of What's going on in our heart, God? We're grateful. We're a grateful people this morning for what you've done for us, Lord. And what you're doing, you're not even finished yet, Lord. You're still working on us, Lord. Father, I, my, my heart's desire is that every man, woman, and child in this city would just stand out on the street corners and lift their hands high and praise the Lord God Almighty because He is worthy to be praised. And Father... We worship you. We're going to sing a song. We're going to close this service in, in worship. And, and guys, I, I'm just asking you, please. And sometimes it's a fight. The battle is on. It's like, no, think about lunch. Which restaurant are you going to? And think about the kids and the problems that they're having. And think about the mortgage and the, where's the money going to come from? And the car and the insurance and the broken vehicle. And God, I'm setting all of that aside right now. And I'm going to worship you. With all of my heart, my soul, and with all that is within me, I am going to worship your holy name. Let's worship the Lord. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. <laughs>